0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: Hey there, I'm Dylan
2: Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industry shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a quota listener, it pays
1: to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
2: I'm Bob Lodick
3: And I'm Linda Lottick.
2: This is Earn and Invest Podcast.
1: Religion and money. Two topics that have rarely been connected in my mind, except in an obscure childhood memory. I was around seven years old, and every Sunday was spent in Temple at the dreaded Sunday school. My mother would give us two shiny quarters to bring to class to add to the donation box. One Sunday, the urge was too great. My seven year old eyes coveted those sparkling quarters and they remained in my pocket the rest of the morning. Later that day, my brother saw me playing with them at home and alerted my mother of this youthful transgression. And I will never forget the shame of, in this case, keeping for myself what was intended for others. Over the ensuing years, I have metaphorically collected more and more quarters. Have too many of them remained in my pocket? For the past 14 years, award-winning blogger and podcaster Bob Loddick has been a trusted voice for Christians wanting to find financial freedom the way God intended. He and his wife, Linda, have shared timeless wisdom and practical strategies with more than 50 million readers, listeners, and students through their blog, online courses, and the Seed Time Money podcast. Their recently released book is titled Simple Money, Rich Life achieve true financial freedom, and design a life of eternal impact. Bob and Linda, welcome to Earn and Invest. Bob, I want to start with a quote from the introduction of your book, Simple Money, Rich Life. While describing an unexpected vehicle breakdown and the resultant cash crunch you had, you say, The truth is, everything I had learned and believed about money came from the wrong sources. And because I hadn't even thought to invite God in, I had this mess to show for it. I thought the answer to my money problems was simply that I needed more money. I'm going to break this quote down because I think there are a few different points to be made, but let's start with the first. Bob, what were those wrong sources that you had relied on up to that point in your life?
2: For me, I think a lot of it was very loving and kind influences of family, broke friends, you know, and honestly, even credit card companies, you know, maybe celebrities, like all of these influences were influencing me and in what I believed about money. This is how I was developing my beliefs. And as you can imagine, like no, nothing good came out of that. You know, I didn't have a lot of good examples to show for how to manage money wisely. Yeah. And that was kind of like where it started for me.
1: Linda, why not Christianity? That obviously is a big part of your lives. Mm -hmm. Back then, why wasn't that invited into your financial thoughts and ideas? And and how do we kind of start that process?
3: I think it's interesting that a lot of Christians even don't uh, integrate God into their finances. And I'm not really sure why, other than there's typically a lot of shame wrapped around it. We've been to several different churches in our day and it seems like there's the time of the offering and there's there can be a typical message that makes you feel like you have to give or if you don't give or if you don't give consistently, you know. I mean, Bob even referenced in the in the book about how he went to a church and the pastor called people out who were not Giving regularly.
2: Called them up to the altar and, and kind of berated them publicly. Right,
3: in, in public, it's like, like in front of the rest of the congregation, you know? And I, I think most people just kind of are like, well, if if that's what this is, bringing God into this conversation, I really don't want to do that. And so they, without even realizing it, just separate the two And I think that's what happened for me is I didn't see my parents talking about it. I grew up in a Christian home. We went to church all of my life, but I didn't really see many people talking about finances as it related to God other than when we gave to the church.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny because that, you know, I resonate with that idea of shame because that's that one major childhood memory I have. Bob money problem money solution why and how do we invite god into that
2: yeah yeah i mean so like you just mentioned that quote I mean, I think like a lot of people, they tend to think that all their answers to their money problems are just, if I just have more money, that's going to solve it. But we all know that there's no limit of money that you can earn to solve all of your financial woes. You know, Mike Tyson earning $400 million and then being $23 million in the hole, like just proves it, you know? Right. Uh, but in terms of inviting God into the equation, as a believer, as a Christian, like, you know, we actually have primis, promises in the Bible that he's going to provide for us and that he's going to take care of us. And, and if I'm living out my Christian faith, like I should be believing those things that he said that he promised. And so for me not to be doing that, it's like I'm not really walking my faith out the way that I should be. And, and unfortunately, I think there's just a lot of Christians who, for a variety of reasons, one that Linda already mentioned, they're not connecting the dots, and I think that's just such an important part that I had to learn and I'm still in the process of learning it, but we're on our journey, and you know inviting other people along as well.
1: I love this idea of connecting the dots and how you did between Christianity and money before we get there. Bob, you talk about this moment when your car broke down and you were going to pay your rent and you didn't have enough money to do this. Yeah. Was this the beginning of both of your financial journeys? Because at that point, it sounds like you didn't really have this idea of what finances meant in your life and how to manage them.
2: Probably, It was probably around that point. Like we were in different cities at that point, didn't even know each other yet. But, right. but that was kind of our early 20s. We both had these kind of crises moments where... We had to cry out for help and realize that we were a mess financially, you know. And I think it, for a lot of people, it takes coming to that point, realizing that I don't know everything I thought I knew, and that's what it was for <laughs> Which me. Is so
3: hard when you're 20 yeah, years old, very humble. <laughs> you know
1: everything, right? Yeah,
2: exactly. Of course. But yeah, that was my moment, like being broken down, stranded a thousand miles from home, seven dollars left, like freaking out, like what do I do? And that was kind of my turning point. And yeah, you were pretty close in that, right? Right.
3: I mean, I remember just praying at that point, just asking God for help. And I didn't really know what that meant. I didn't know how to find it. And I, I think that started a journey that we both were walking on. And a lot of it is realizing, like, when we first got married, Bob came to me and he was like, the Bible is talking about money a lot. <laughs> like I'm really surprised that it actually says something about money. <laughs> and so, because again, this was kind of foreign to us other than talking about tithing, you know, and giving in the church, there wasn't a whole lot of connection points made. So when he started realizing it was talking about the Bible, or talking about money in the Bible, we were like, well, let's let's dive into this a little bit deeper. Let's see what it has to say and what wisdom can we pull out of it. Yeah.
1: Was it very much a journey that you started together? Like you both were at the same place at the same time of trying to figure out how do I integrate money into this not just religious but general life that we're starting to live together? Yeah. Uh no. I no. mean <laughs> No. <laughs> not at all.
2: <laughs> I
3: wish I could say I was on board immediately, but really it was Bob that was leading the charge. I was honestly relieved to, you know, I do not have a natural gifting towards math at all. I mean, I tell people all the time, I will add up numbers on a calculator three different times and get three different numbers. And I don't, I like, that doesn't make any sense why that doesn't work for me. But, you know, so when I married Bob, I was like, oh, thank God he knows math. Like he's good at math. And he can just take care of this for me. That was really (laughs) where I came from with it, which wasn't great, but.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so she just slid all of the financial responsibilities over to me, which I was kind of happy because it's like, all right, well, at least it's not a fight. Like, (laughs) you know, we have we have we both have messes to clean up at this point, but at least we're not fighting about it. Right. And that worked for a while. And then we did start fighting about it. And, um, you know, so it took us a little bit to kind of. Get a little bit more on the same page. And I think that's like a constant journey of, I don't think it was 100% on the same page all the time, you know? Right. Yeah, that's where we started.
3: Lindy, you guys started with debt, right? Yes. Lots of debt. What did we say?
2: Yeah, uh, $46,000 of credit cards and stuff like that.
1: Money is one of the things young couples argue about. And having $46,000 worth of debt, I'm sure, was a sore yeah. point. Let's talk about connecting those dots. We were just talking about this. And another quote, Bob, from the beginning of the book As you and I do our part, God will show up and do his. And no surprise, his part is the big part. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit because, it, you know, it really, you were talking about a little bit earlier. Some of this faith in God and God will support and take care of us. And yet, we have to be somewhat intentional about our finances. And a lot of this book, Simple Money Rich Life, is actually advice on how we can do our part. How do we balance the two? Yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, I think that's a really big challenge for a lot of people. And, you know, coming back to my experience in the church, what I've observed is there's a lot of people who will do their part but who won't pray and ask God for help. And then there's a lot of people who will pray and ask God for help, but not do their part. And I tend to believe that the combination of the two is when you really see the miracles that, you know, like there's one Bible verse that talks about co-laboring with God and that he has a part to play. We have a part to play. And we've just observed in our marriage, in our financial journey, as we've seen some crazy miracles, like that have, that that has been the common denominator mm-hmm. that, We did our part. We were doing, we were using as much wisdom as we could with our finances. We were making the most of our situation. We weren't just like quitting and throwing in the towel, burying our heads in the sand or anything like that. But while we were doing that, we were praying to God to get out of the situation, to move out faster and really trusting him that he is going to provide for us and work things out. And we've just gotten to see some really cool things as we've done that.
1: Mm -hmm. Linda, you know, I stumble on this myself. So I imagine that it's difficult sometimes to, to parse it all out, but how do we know what our part is? Like, how, how do we know what that balance is of, of having faith mm-hmm. and saying, and like you said, you guys have seen lots of miracles, right? So you've seen a lot of people who've done their part and, you know, there's stories in the book, how God plays his part, right? Things show yeah. up that they weren't expecting money shows up that they weren't expecting. How do we know when we're faithfully playing our part?
3: I think that it is not just one thing all the time. <laughs> I don't think that we can always say, well, if I just do the same thing forever, then that's enough. Yeah, I think it's constantly changing, but I think where we've seen it the most is when we have done everything we can do. So we've made the best decisions we can make and it's still not enough. That That's where we've seen the most impact in this, where it's like, we can't depend on our own selves anymore. And so when we get to the point where, okay, we've done as best as we can. Now, what do we do? We have nothing else to do, but just ask God for help and for wisdom and to bail us out. I mean, I, there's there's lots of different ways you can go with that. And even just the idea of being so desperate that you're like, God, just please just please do something. You know, I think there's a lot of people, Christian and not, who have had that moment of like, God help me, where are you? What do we do? You know? And I think in those moments, He's like, I'm here, I'm I'm ready. I'm I'm excited to to work with you. Yeah. So that's the best thing I can think of. What do you yeah. think?
2: Yeah, Jordan, I'd love to just share a story of like one thing that we experienced with this. So when we were trying to pay off that forty-six thousand dollars of credit card debt and all those debts we'd accumulated, like I had a plan and I mean, I'm a numbers nerd and I had the spreadsheet, I had everything laid out. I had this plan in place. It was going to be somewhere from three to four years to kind of get all of this stuff paid off. And we're moving along and we're making progress and slowly kind of paying off one debt at a time and all this stuff. And then Linda comes in throws a wrench in the whole thing. (laughs) And I mean, do you want to tell?
3: Accidentally. I was just getting this feeling that we had kind of been in the position of being afraid of our debt, if that makes sense. So it was like all of our attention was going towards if we can just pay off our debt, if we can just do this, then everything will be okay. And it was like we were giving too much attention towards that.
2: We were giving more attention to our debt than we were to God. And it just didn't feel right. It didn't sit right. Yeah, and so out of that, Linda is like, I kind of feel like we should start, we should double our giving. Even though we're trying to pay off our debt, we should double our giving and give 20% because we were given 10%. And so you
3: know, Bob's driving, I said this to Bob while we we're in the car, and I could see his hands gripping the steering wheel harder and harder. <laughs> I mean, it
1: and- is counterintuitive, right?
3: Oh, it yeah, is
2: absolutely, and I mean, for me, the numbers nerd. I'm sitting there, my, my brain's spinning, trying to figure it out and go back to the computer and the spreadsheet. It's like you just messed up my plan, now it's gonna take <laughs> whatever five or six years or whatever, you know, and and all this. But that this is the amazing thing of this kind of us doing our part and God doing his part is that we were doing our part. I mean, we were cutting back on our expenses, I mean, we were trying to be you know, good managers of our money and not wasteful and all these different things. But as we did that, and as we stepped out and began giving double what we were given before, like we watched those debts get paid off so much faster than my plan. Like it was years faster than it should have been. And it was just one of those things where it's like, this doesn't make any sense. Like this doesn't, this math doesn't add up, but yet like we saw it play out in front of us, mm-hmm. you know, and we've actually had like instances like that happen multiple times yeah. where it's just, this doesn't make any sense, you know?
1: And Linda, it's not just you guys, right? You've seen this in your friends and church members, et cetera, that, that sometimes when the, when the focus changes, especially to something like giving, when the focus changes off of you and to other people, you've seen people's finances coalesce in a way that they hadn't before.
3: Yes. I mean, we've seen this a lot.
2: Yeah. And I think one of the things here is that the act of giving is like, it's an act of trust. That's really what it right. is. It's like you're letting go of the thing that you're trusting in. And that's so powerful, I think, especially in when it's in relationship with God, where it's like saying, I'm choosing not to trust within my hand and trust you instead. And I think that's like what activates some of these miracles, that faith, you know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. It, it's an interesting idea. And you've said this multiple times in the book, and it really struck me, this idea that transferring your trust and faith from money to your trust and faith in God. And while I certainly don't have the same religious adherence as you both have, mm-hmm. I've definitely said many times that we use money as a goal instead of a tool. And that yeah. really reminds me of a very similar argument. Like we're focusing on the wrong thing, right? Yeah. We're yeah. we're being hoodwinked exactly. a little bit in the sense that we're giving money a power that maybe belongs somewhere else.
0: Yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah. I mean, and, you know, the Bible says that you can't serve money or mammon and God, like you have to pick one or the other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can take that any way you want. But like, I think ultimately what it comes down to is like, who are you going to trust? Like, and trusting in money is is not a reliable thing to trust in. It's like, you know, we all know this, like with from a, on a macro level with the economy and pandemics and everything that's going on or to micro level and whatever, like medical bills or things that happen. It's it's like we we just can't trust in that. It's just not a reliable thing to trust in, you know.
1: So Bob, before we go too far down in this direction, because people are listening and saying, "Oh, you know, give more and you'll pay off your bills faster." That doesn't make a lot of sense. I want to make sure people know <laughs> that this book is actually grounded in formulas to help you manage your finances,
2: yeah. mm-hmm. Other
1: than just have faith that God will fix things. There's there's actually a lot of information here about how we can manage our finances. First, tell us about your four-part plan, which I love in its simplicity, but I think it's exactly what most of us need to hear. Tell us about that four-part plan.
2: Yeah. So many years ago, as I kind of began my financial journey, I found a quote from John Wesley, who's an old preacher from a couple hundred years ago, that has just always resonated with me. And basically, essentially, I'll boil it down. He said, I earn as much as I can through, for him, it was mostly speaking and writing. And so he said, I earn as much as I can. And then he said, I reduce my expenses as much as I can. And I do both of those so that I can give as much as I can. And so I love, I just loved his framework. And I love the simplicity of this because he saw his natural giftings of speaking and writing as a means to, generate income and then he saw that if he wasn't wasteful in his spending if he didn't just blow it all you know buying lambos and whatever else like (laughs) that he'd have something left to give and to impact the lives of other people and he just it just is a very simple and common sense framework that made a lot of sense and so we've been living by that for years just that has given me the motivation to to unapologetically earn you know, as much as I can, you know, because in Christian circles or some Christian circles like that, that feels taboo, that feels wrong. Like you shouldn't do that, you know, because there's a couple verses in the New Testament that you can maybe somehow interpret to mean that. But when you view it through the lens of the heart behind it and the motivation behind it, it seems like a very righteous and noble thing to do. Like if I'm earning money specifically so that we can give more and impact the world more, like that seems like a pretty righteous and noble thing. And so, anyway, so those are the first three parts. And then the fourth part is to enjoy it all, in which we kind of added to his, you know, advanced his quote a little bit, which is basically because, you know, and I'm sure you've seen this too, Jordan, there's so many people who are miserable in their jobs and the work that they do. There's so many people who... Or miserable, you know, <laughs> trying to save money or trying, whatever, just hate not not spending all of their money. Mm-hmm. And then there's also so many people who just hate giving. And and I think and I'm convinced that we can enjoy all three of those parts. And so that third, fourth part is to enjoy it all and to mm-hmm. enjoy all facets of our financial luck.
1: So the four parts are earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can and enjoy it all. Yep. Linda, I'm going to be unfair here and I'm just going to stick with the first one, earn all you can. Is there any fear that that feels selfish? I mean, Bob touched on it a little bit, but I know, especially in religious circles, is there some taboo about earning? Like, is it okay to earn a lot?
3: Absolutely. And I think it, it's just a question I ask myself often, like, where am I and how I'm spending my money? Where am I and like how things are coming in and where they're being distributed? because it is very easy to get really really selfish. I mean, I think that's just a natural inclination, but what we believe is that we are, you know, we're living for God. Everything we have is his. That's that's what we that's the core of our belief system, right? And so when we ha- when we come up with those those questions like we have to say okay well a- is this all being submitted to God who is basically our boss he's ultimately our boss are we submitting these things right yeah. to God and uh, are we doing with them what he wants us to do with them and i think as long as we are continually asking that question he will reveal the answers to us yeah there's lots of scriptures in the Bible that talk about you know if you ask, seek, or knock, like you will the door will be open to you It, it talks about God revealing to us what's in our hearts yep. so to me that that's where I am that's how I keep it kind of in the place that it needs to be, because yeah, if i'm trying to earn all this money just so that I can have more, you know there are people in other countries living. Ankle deep in their own sewage because there's no place to go to the bathroom and they're just living in tents with a whole bunch of other people. You know, have I even thought about them? Like, does that affect my daily life? It doesn't, unless I'm purposefully choosing to go, okay, if that's true, what can I do to change that? Like, how can I use my dollars? to change that. Maybe I don't go over there, but maybe there is an organization that is trying to improve this situation, trying to change the laws in that country so that the poverty poverty level is different. Like just trying to help in whatever way possible. And, you know, I, I really don't want to forget that those people exist and that I can do something to change it, even if it's not me actively going there. Yeah. And Bob, it sometimes goes the other way too. I mean, I think Linda has
1: mentioned in the book in her parts that sometimes you actually have to be convinced to spend more, yeah. maybe even on yourself, yep. whereas she sometimes needs to be convinced less, <laughs> so to <Yeah>. speak, right? <laughs> yeah. I
2: mean, I think there's just, we all have different personalities. We all have inclinations. We lean a particular direction, most of us. And, and I think it's just important to know that, know which way you're leaning it's like, you know, if there's a 50 mile an hour wind outside, it's like, all right, so you know you need to lean into that wind to stand up straight. You know, if you lean the opposite direction, the wind's going, or, you know, they lean with the wind, it's like you're going to fall over. So, so I think it's important to know your weaknesses and your tendencies. And, and I think that's part, all part of that equation. And so for me, there's definitely been some of that. And, and there have been points where, yeah, like I think that's what's so healthy about, or what I'm thankful about, about having a mate who is balancing me out, who, you know, God brought us together, and I think for a very important reason, and part of that is just because he knew we needed each other, and we're both different in a lot of ways, and so we can look at that as, all right, let's be frustrated that you're not exactly the same as me, or let's look at the other person's strengths and use that to our advantage.
1: We are talking to Bob and Linda Loddick. They are the authors of Simple Money, Rich Life, Achieve True Financial Freedom, and Design a Life of Eternal Impact. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. Have you been using Mint to manage your finances? It was one of my favorite budgeting apps, but here's the problem mint is disappearing. Now we all are stuck with the question, how will we manage our budget and finances now? Well, I discovered Monarch Money, and I have to tell you, I found it simple, enjoyable, and made for users like me. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. There's so many great things about Monarch. One is it's intuitive. When I signed up, I went to the website, and within minutes, I had had all my accounts downloaded. I connected to all my banks. It is collaborative. It's not only made for people like me, but for people like me to then share it with my spouse or my financial advisor or what have you. and. Monarch is so customer focused that they're always looking for ways to improve and make their product serve us better. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app and right now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com/earn. That's M O N dot ycom slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey, Earning Investors, just a few quick announcements. Today is July 25th. Taking stock, a hospice doctor's advice on financial independence, building wealth, and living a regret-free life, drops august 2nd that's right a week and a day it is available for pre-order on amazon you can buy the paperback book you can buy it on kindle or the audiobook is now available through audible you can access that all through amazon so check it out just look up me jordan Grummet, g-r-u-m-e-t we are going to have a launch party if you happen to be in longmont colorado august 19th. That's a Friday. There are about 60 spaces. Tickets are free, but they're going fast. Last time I checked, there were 27 spaces left. If you want to check it out, go to earnandinvest.com slash launch party. Again, earnandinvest.com slash launch party. I can't wait for you guys to check out taking stock. And if you happen to be in Longmont, I would love to see you in person. Now back to the show. Let me reintroduce you. We are talking to Bob and Linda Lodick. They have shared their timeless wisdom and practical strategies with more than 50 million readers, listeners, and students through their blog, online courses, and Seed Time Money podcast. Bob, we're talking about the four different steps in building wealth. The first was to earn all you can. The second was to save all you can. The third is to give all you can. And the fourth is to enjoy it all. Let's move to the savings. Tell me about what term you use for what everyone else in the personal finance world calls net worth. I was
2: having a point where, you know, so I began tracking my net worth when we first got got married. And I'm like, this is brilliant. This is such a great idea. You know, it's it's like so much more valuable than just tracking your debt payoff until it goes down to zero. It's like it's it's a number you can keep tracking, measuring your progress. And I loved it. And so as I was doing this, you know, Linda and I, when we first started dating, we both had these desires in our heart to want to give away millions of dollars. Like, you know, we were dirt poor, had no 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 reason to ever believe this would be possible, but we had these dreams and these desires to be able to give away millions of dollars. And so so that's kind of in our hearts but then we're tracking our net worth and I'm a numbers guy and I love seeing it go up and it's fun. Each year it's it's been going up, it's been going up and I'm celebrating all excited. And I started to realize that there's like this tension that's happening because again, I wanna be able to give away millions of dollars and every time we give and we stretch in our generosity, it's like our net worth ticks down and it's like, but yet I wanna see those numbers go up. And so it's like all this tension was there and I finally you know, came to this conclusion one day as I was kind of praying about all this. I started, like, I I should just track our giving. Like, if that's the thing that's most important to me, it's like, why not do that? And so we started tracking what we call our net given, but um, I feel like I'm answering a different question, but we'll come back to the other (laughs) one. So all of this, we started tracking our net given, which was kind of our way of tracking the thing that was most important to us. But anyway, so flipping back to the original question, the net worth thing, in all of that, we decided we were gonna call it for ourselves Assets Under Management, because, again, coming back to what Linda was saying, we were feeling like, I don't know, I didn't really like the term net worth. I didn't like the the label of any number, whether high or low, you know, me being, that being my net worth. I don't, I don't know, just kind of bothered me a little bit. And then the other thing was just like, as a believer, as a Christian, if I identify that everything that in my possession is actually God's and I'm just a manager of it, then therefore, I think it assets under management is a more accurate term, you know, and anybody in the industry knows this is a common term that's used, but I'm like, I think we're going to call it that.
1: I love the term, right? Because assets under management is what a financial advisor may, that may be one of the ways they calculate, you know, what they're managing for you. And I love this idea of, of it's, it's yours briefly, right? Um, Which I think religious or not, we all connect to this idea of, the money kind of goes through us and then eventually out as our legacy in whichever direction we send it. It also reminds me as you were talking about giving Linda, talk to me about this concept of eternal wealth transfer. I I love that concept.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, the idea is in the Bible, it talks about that when we give, we store up treasures in heaven. So if we believe we're going to heaven as Christians, which Bob and I do, when we give, we are not, you know, you can't take your wealth with you on the earth. Once you die, your wealth goes somewhere else. Hope can we can all allocate that. <laughs> it, right? So our wealth can kind of live on as we, you know, give it as an inheritance to our children or whoever. Um, but the dollars that we give personally on earth, it says that it is it is putting a treasure in heaven for us. So for us, that makes a lot of sense To give as much as we can while we're alive, as opposed to kind of having it taken away from us. Does that make sense? Like when we die, it's taken away from us in a, you know, whether, whether you want it to be or not. Right. But as we can give it. It puts something in our heavenly bank account, which I'm like, yeah. what we don't know what this is. We're excited to find out.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's a fairly ambiguous thing in right. the Bible that, you know, it talks about a couple of different instances in different ways, but but I think that's one of the coolest things is that we have the opportunity to take the dollars that we have now to give them to someone else, see their life impacted today while storing something up for us in the future. And and I just love that. I mean, it it makes it can really get you excited about giving when you see it through that lens, mm-hmm. you know.
1: Let's talk about giving all you can. You brought up that story where you were in church and it was a pastor who was filling in and they made parishioners yeah. feel bad because they weren't giving enough. Yeah. It it begs a question, right? Because we want joy giving to be joyful. Yet how do we know when we are giving enough or how to set those numbers or limits?
2: Yeah, and I don't have a pat answer for that. I wish I did. You know, it's one of those things where I think this, yeah, as a Christian, like I just feel like this is something there's a Bible verse that specifically says in the New Testament talks about how we shouldn't give under compulsion and that we should all give what we've decided to give in our heart. Okay? So, what I interpret that to mean is when we pray, Um, God will lead us and direct us on what that looks like. And and I'm, I'm assuming probably in one of the upcoming questions, we'll talk about how much we're giving and our percentage and kind of how we got there and stuff. But that was all part of that, like how we got to that point, how we made the decision. It wasn't really my idea. It was praying and God, I just felt like God kind of revealed it to me. And so that was our new kind of baseline and our guideline of how we determined that we were going to give. And I think that's the best way to do it.
3: Yeah, and I think there's another element there. So Bob mentioned that scripture, the the end of that scripture that says you should give is what you've decided in your heart, it says, for God loves a cheerful giver, which is great news for us because we would rather be happy about
0: giving yeah. than
3: miserable, right? <laughs> yeah. And one of the kind of hacks that I have found is when I'm feeling really miserable, I realize that it's all internal and it's all about me. And I'm mad because this happened, I'm upset because of whatever. And I have very consciously, and I did this on accident, I consciously was like, I wonder what I could do for this person. How could I make their day better? And I noticed that when I did that, it was something that I, that I asked myself just because I was like, you know, I, I needed to do something for them. And when I, when I started to move in that direction, I started to not be as miserable, I I I saw this kind of depression thing that was on me just lift off like a cloud. And it was really interesting to me because I'm like, is is this all it takes is to just start thinking about someone else? And all of a sudden, I'm happier, they're happier, and you know, I, I'm not yeah. stuck in this this selfish cycle of what is gonna make me happy because I mean. Not much makes me happy when I get like that, if I'm being honest, you know,
1: yeah, Bob, you did have an epiphany which you were talking about a little before, where God did talk to you about how much you were giving. Tell us about that and and specifically, should it be a stretch? And is that okay? I mean, I, I don't want to say should it hurt because I think hurt is the wrong word, but should yeah. it maybe make us a little uncomfortable from time to time?
2: Yeah, so, yeah, I'll go back to this story. So long story short, we had paid off all of our credit cards, car loans, student loans, everything was paid off except for our house. And this was similar to that that debt payoff story. Like we had everything paid off and we're racing towards paying off our house, like putting all of our extra money towards it. I have my plan in place again, like and we're going to get there, like we're not too far off. And but again, I was going to God and praying. I'm like, "All right, Lord, we're doing what we can do. What can you do?" And And I remember being in this field, walking around praying and like, I didn't hear an audible voice. I didn't have the, uh, you know, the audible voice from the clouds or anything, but it's just like a knowing in my heart type of thing where I could just sense that that was the Lord kind of leading and directing me. And I felt like he just said, if you really want to see me move on your finances, I want you to begin giving your age as a percentage of your income. And so at the time I was 31 and we had been giving about 10%. And so this was nearly a triple, three times increase. And and I remember just like scratching my head and being like, what in the heck? Like, you know, cause I'm like, where did this idea come from? And it just seemed so crazy and bizarre, but it also felt like, I mean, to your point, to your question, it did feel like a stretch, but it also kind of scary, but also exciting. You know, I, I don't know if hurt is the best way to describe it, but, but definitely was a stretch. But, you know, and I'm reminded of, you know, anybody who knows the Bible a little bit knows that, you know, Jesus is standing on the water, in Sea of Galilee or something, and invites Peter to step out of the boat to walk on the water. And I just I just think back to that and just wonder what that experience must have been like. You know, you have Jesus inviting this guy, saying, Hey, we have this opportunity. You can stay in the boat or you can just take a step out and be one of the probably the only human to ever walk on water. And so what is that like? And so in that moment for me, I just felt this gentle invitation. I didn't feel like we had to do this. I didn't feel like God was going to be mad at us if we didn't. It just felt like this invitation to go on an adventure with him. And so that's kind of how that whole thing started for us.
1: Linda, how did that feel? So Bob comes home. He says, I felt this in my heart. We're mm-hmm. going to start giving triple. What was your reaction? <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay. So I have an analogy. So my we have three children. They are... Eight, five, and three. My daughter, she, our daughter is the five year old, and she is a fighter. Man, that girl is a fighter. So if her sibling takes something from her, she she can, she has two choices. She can sit there and she can play tug of war with this and just grab it and then end up ripping the thing in half, right? Or, what I, what I continue to try and get across to her is, will you please let go so that I can fight for you? Because hmm. I am the disciplinarian. I'm, I am ready to say, all right, brother, you need to give that back to your sister. But the more she rips and grabs, the more upset she gets and the less she gets what she actually wants. So I'm constantly just saying, will you please let go and trust me that I will fight for you. I'm here for you. I am on your team and I will fight for you. So when Bob comes to me and says this, it was one of those moments for me where it's like, well, I can grab onto this (laughs) and try to squeeze the life out of it and end up getting nothing. Or I can remember that we've actually been in this situation before and I've seen God fight for us. I've seen how we've done as much as we could, and he has come through for us in ways that we never expected to happen. And so since I had had that experience, I had a moment of, okay, let's go for it. Yeah. And so we did.
1: Bob, I thought when she answered that, you you said, we're going to give give as much as my age. I just saw... Linda, saying, Thank God you're not 85 years old. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was the first thing that came to mind when she started answering that question.
2: Not yet, not yet. Someday.
1: <laughs> so we're we're talking about the four part money formula: earn all you can, save all you can. We were just talking about give all you can. Bob, talk about enjoy it all. Why did you feel like you had to add this to the formula?
2: Yeah, well, a lot of different reasons. Being a lot of different facets of enjoyment that we talk about here. Like one of the. Chapters, like i'm specifically talking about enjoying the process because i know for us at the beginning paying off the debt like it was hard and i was reading financial books but like and making the sacrifices but secretly i didn't know if it was going to work out you know what i mean it's like i'm taking these these steps of faith that what these guys are saying about making these sacrifices and putting this extra money towards our debt and whatever starting to invest in all these things it's like I think this is gonna work out, but like what if it doesn't? And what if all this is in vain and you know, and then trying to convince her that, you know, this is right when I'm like, I think, you know. Anyway, so my point in all that is I've just observed that with progress in your financial journey, like especially from the beginning, when you're, you know, trying to overcome something, you, you think that it's just linear and it's like this 45 degree angle going up, but in my experience, it just has never been like that. Like the first Phase of that, it's actually these ups and downs that are less, you know, you're getting less reward for the effort that you're putting in. And it feels like you're making these sacrifices and making little or no progress. In some cases, you can go backwards. But there comes this point, and, and it's easy to understand this, especially in terms of investing, but there comes this point where you reach this tipping point where all of a sudden you go above the 45 degree linear, you know, kind of climb to where you're getting more reward for less work. And, you know, I think that's what so many people miss out on. And so many people just don't get to that point where they realize, you know, because it's like all the work is on the front end and it's like, you got to fight through all that to get to that taping point where you start, you know, rolling down the hill with the wind at your back type of thing. And so enjoying that was just a really important part that I wanted to communicate in the book. But then also, like I was saying before, just this idea of learning to enjoy like your work you know, and even the moments where it's like, you don't love your job, like, all right, how can we find a way to enjoy this? And how can we find a way to kind of transition to work? You do love and you enjoy, how can we find a way to enjoy not spending all of your money? You know, so this is something for Linda, like, you know, left to her own devices, like Linda can spend everything, but like, she's found a way to enjoy having a budget in place with some constraints Mm -hmm. and, and still enjoy our financial life in that way. And then on the other hand, like giving thing, like like I didn't grow up enjoying giving. I actually hated giving growing up. And I saw a lot of terrible examples of it. And a lot of people have. And so it's easy to to hate giving and feel like this is the stupidest thing you can do with your money. <laughs> like, <laughs> And we've just learned to absolutely enjoy it. And it be, become one of the favorite things in our lives and one of the most treasured opportunities that we have.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So that's what we're trying to share is like, how can we help people learn to enjoy all these different facets?
3: Yeah. And I would add to that, like there are a lot of people like Bob who finances is just a math problem to them. Like they're like, well, this is what the numbers say and this is what makes sense and they're very comfortable living that type of life. But then there's a whole other side of people who are don't want to live that way. And if it's not fun, I'm not going to do it. And they're living for the moment. You only live once, you know, all that whole idea. And, you know, this is kind of where we balance each other out is that you can You can enjoy it, and it's not wrong to enjoy the hard work. And I mean, I think this is, you know, kids these days, you know, I'm going (laughs) to do one of those. But there's this idea right now going around that if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. And I think growing up in a little bit older, there's a lot of stuff you have to do in life that you don't want to do. And I think the more of that we can practice and give to ourselves saying no to ourselves and showing up when we don't want to show up and do the thing that we don't want to do the better it's going to set us up for the rest of our lives cuz i mean man parenthood is hard and you have to just do it i mean i think that's the you know nike has the the catchphrase just do it i think that is the parenthood phrase <laughs> it's like people say things to you they're like well how did you do whatever and you're like you just do it right you just figure it out and you do it. And so I think there's something so powerful in that but also empowering in that. You know that when you do the thing that you don't want to do, you find out how strong you are and it's just it's just a wonderful thing from the inside out honestly, I believe.
1: So Bob, I want to end with a question but before I do I warned you I was going to be slightly unfair to Simple Money Rich Life during this interview because there's a huge amount of prescriptive financial information of how to do things, which specifically we haven't talked about today because I wanted to talk about some of the more philosophical and certainly some of the more religious aspects of what you've written, but there's lots of great financial information in there. There are a lot of people listening to this who are not Christians, who are not religious. Is the financial information the same? I mean. Are the steps we should follow the same? Certainly, we've talked more about giving. Plenty of people give in a non-religious way, in a non-Christian way. They give just to give. Would the advice be the same regardless of if you were into Christianity the way you two are or if you are not?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of the tactics are the same. I think possibly some of the motivations and intentions underlying those tactics. I mean, kind of like your philosophy, you know, with where you're starting with, you know, the purpose and where you're headed before you get to that. I think it's the same type of thing where, you know, we believe it starts with the heart. And, I, and so, so yeah, I think short answer to your question, I think a lot of the tactics can be overlapped and can be, you know, so we, it's funny, like we didn't necessarily write the book for non-Christians, like, because we do talk a lot about our faith in the book. You know, I had somebody just come up to our house the other day asking for an autograph from the book, and he's like, oh, I love the book so much. And then in the conversation, like, yeah, I'm not a Christian, but I just thought it was <laughs> such a great book and super helpful. And so, anyway, I'm like, that's a huge compliment to me, like, because cause yeah. I didn't know, because I, you know, I know there's some people who, like, you know, do not want to come and listen to a guy talk about God, and I get that, but I do think that there's a lot of really good Practical wisdom in the book as well.
3: Well, and I remember in the very beginning when you started realizing, you have this realization of like the Bible says a lot of stuff about money. I remember one of the things you said to me was like, oh, well, this guy is saying the exact same thing that the Bible already says. Warren Buffett is saying this, and that's actually oh, yeah. what the Bible says. This guy's saying this. And so it was like he was pulling together all these pieces of just good sound wisdom. You know yep. what I mean? Yeah. And realizing that the Bible was already saying it anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, I, that's why, to me, I think it it all, it it all would all work for yeah. anyone wanting to yep. yeah gain wisdom on their finances.
1: Well, Bob and Linda, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. One of the major reasons it was so appealing to have you on was you're a great example of how you take something that's very purposeful and part of your identity, which is Christianity. And then use that as the lens to look at money. And to me, I certainly feel like that's the way we should all be doing it. Some people will connect with Christianity and therefore connect with your message because of that. But I think anyone can connect with this idea of how can we take what's important to our life, what brings us closer to God, whether that's religion or not, and then integrate that into the way we look at money and build our financial lives. I
2: love that. And
1: I think we all can do that more successfully and learn from your message. I wanted to end this episode the way and every episode by asking you what's up next in your life and where we can find you. Linda, let's start with you. What is up next with the Seed Time podcast and you both
3: in general? (laughs) Up next with the Seed Time podcast, we are just continuing. Actually, you're going to be on our podcast coming Soon. 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 So... That's exciting. Thank you for for being there on that. And thanks for having us on today. I know this isn't, you know, Christianity is something that I know not everyone believes in. And so thanks for being open-minded and just hearing from us today. But what's up next on the Well, for me, I kind of... I'm doing a full-time mom position right now. And then I am able to do the, the podcast when I can. <laughs> we have a date every Wednesday night to record. So Bob would probably be suited to answer that. But in general, we are excited that this book finally came out.
1: <laughs> and and it's enjoying, doing fantastically.
3: Yes. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're enjoying seeing and hearing feedback, not just of refining the the book. So that's been really exciting. And yeah, just spending time with our kids, going to the pool because it's hot outside and <laughs> all those typical things.
1: Yeah. And Bob, any big projects and and specifically where can we find you if people want to ask you yeah. guys more questions? Sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So uh seedtime.com. Like that's our hubs our website, our hub, everything there, newsletter, all that stuff. Seed time money podcasts. But instagram at seed time you can send us a dm we'd love to say hi we actually answer our own dms and so you know we're talking to people all the time and so that's best way to find us and what we're working on now is really just continuing to doing a big podcast tour for the book and reaching out to as many people as we can about that and uh working on a couple of our courses and continuing to develop those and push those to the next level but that's the majority we're working on now
1: The book is Simple Money, Rich Life, Achieve True Financial Freedom, and Design a Life of Eternal Impact. Bob and Linda Loddick, thank you for being on the show. Thank Thank you, you, Jordan.
2: Appreciate it, brother. That's a wrap.
1: I leave the audio running for just a minute or two for whatever we catch after for the after show. Is there anything again? Admittedly, I, I covered a very specific part of the book. Was there anything you feel like we just didn't talk about
2: uh, no, that we I don't, should I mean,
1: have specifically?
2: I mean, whatever you think. Like, I feel good about you know we talked covered a lot of different things. But mm-hmm. I will say this: like, I have a question for you. I'm just curious, like, sure. um, because I mean, you were raised Jewish, um, mm-hmm. so I'm curious. Yeah, like how your faith, um, you know, I know, I think you said you weren't like fully practicing, but I'm just curious, like how that has affected your view of finances. And, you know, we don't have to talk forever, but I'm just curious. Yeah. You know, it, any.
1: it's interesting. So I, I've i never been much of a, a practicer when it comes to religious, but I grew up in a Jewish household. I went to Sunday school in Hebrew school and I got bar mitzvah because it was what my parents wanted to do, but never felt yeah. a right. huge connection. I've always felt the spirituality um I've always felt connected to this idea of a benevolent God who, you know, does good things and helps people. I, I connect with that, but the organized part never specifically worked for me. Mm. Yeah. You know, being Jewish and money, that story I told about shame, you know, there's always this kind of thing, this, the, the stereotype and archetype of Jewish people and money. And so it's always been this mixed thing of, of, of proud of being somewhat of a successful people are known as being a successful people who know how to manage money, but also then the negative side of that stereotype of miserliness and, and kind of some of those negative stereotypes that have also been associated with the religion. So, you know, I think it runs the gamut. Like I think you, you have people who look at money and giving and I I think you see all sides of it, just like you probably do in Christianity, but I suspect that most of the beliefs are very, very similar and close. Um, I think Christianity from what I know of it and Judaism from what I know of it have a very good pure core that, that teach people hopefully to do the right things. And I think giving is a big part of that. And I think creating wealth for the good things in your life and the people around you, I think is accepted by both faiths. Um, But I, 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 you know, I don't know if I have a lot more than that. I mean, I have yeah. kind of vague. There's a difference between, per se, the teachings and then the cultural experience of being that in American culture. Yeah. Um, right. And and as you know, those are two different things. Um, yeah. So I don't sure. know if that answered your question, but no, I think that's what that's comes great. to mind when I think about it. I it yeah. It is. A, I love this aspect of diving into religion and money and how they how they interact, because. They're two very powerful forces in people's lives, right? Money is very powerful in in some people's lives, especially, and religion is very powerful. And and so to delve into how they connect or disconnect, and Mm -hmm. even to talk about some of those taboos, like right, is it is it wrong to make too much money in certain religions because then you're being selfish? Or Mm Or is it this partnership with God and that's kind of what you're doing? And, and you know, exactly like you said, what, what is the shame about giving versus the joy of giving and how we balance that in our life and the teaching of of our faiths? I yeah. think it's fascinating. And I think it's I think it's an important conversation because religion is going nowhere, right? People <laughs> meaning it's not going away. Um yeah. right. Yeah. Faith is very important to people. And so and so we have to look through that lens and try to look at our beliefs about money. Um, I think if we don't,
0: then we're missing something real important.